Hi everyone, Lee Sims here from Progressive Karate and welcome to the Striking Thoughts podcast. Okay, so just a few updates before we get to today's podcast. Firstly, a big thank you to everyone who attended the seminar with me and Ian Abernethy at the start of February. It was a great day and the feedback has been very positive. Ian and I will be teaching again later this year in September, so if you missed us in Feb, do not miss us later this year. And speaking of upcoming seminars, I am teaching a workshop on self-defense law for martial artists on the 23rd of February in Guildford. This is for Les Booker's Shinaido Karate Group. If you want to attend, you can contact me or Les for details. Les and my contact details will be in the show notes. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to let you all know about some of the upcoming podcast topics. The next episode will be on the law in England and Wales in relation to weapons. This is a topic I get a lot of questions on, and it is a rather detailed and dense area of law. So I think it'll be useful to record a full podcast on this particular topic. I'll also be collaborating with Jamie Club later this year. If you haven't come across Jamie's material yet, then in readiness for my podcast with him, I would highly recommend his website, clubcamera.com, as well as his podcast. I'll put all the details in the show notes um, for you. Okay, so this brings us to today's podcast. And this is a follow-on from my conversation with Chris Hansen of Karate Unity. If you haven't listened to part one yet of our conversation, you should be able to do so by looking at previous episodes of this podcast. So today, in part two of the conversation, we discuss teaching methodology in karate, as well as what Chris terms cutting the fat from karate. We also chat about standardization of cat emotions, stances, cross-training, and much more. Okay then, so I bring you part two of my interview with Chris Hansen. Enjoy. do now is based on your teaching profession and your, your what you've learned there compared to your karate background okay perfect that, that's a good question I, I can answer that pretty much there's a it's a one-on-one so there, there's it, what, how I teach curriculum uh, at school uh, and, and my teaching method is I use that in my karate now and I find I find that helpful so I definitely have a set I, I don't have a set lesson plan but I have a set of concepts that I want to show the kids, and those set series of concepts is is tailor made to what they want to learn. So if, if there there is a some some feedback, like I get some feedback from the students. Um, once I get to know them and I develop rapport with them, and I and I and, and I'm lucky because I, I see them in a school setting anyway, and so and I teach them subjects, so I know their psyche, so I know. More or less, uh, you know, and when they come to me, I kind of know them already, and I know, I know what they want and what they want to get out of this whole thing. So I have a bit of an advantage over that, over over a lot of other uh, uh, martial art instructors who don't teach them. You know, the way I teach it is just the way I teach uh, a subject. Uh, you know, I would uh, it would be very broad in the beginning. Um, we would work on basic basic concepts, um, and then I would expose them to problems. So for me, you know. Drilling, drilling something in a line and doing static drilling is, is very important. But then I, I quickly, even on the same day, we move into a live drill where they get a chance to see it messy and feel feel uncomfortable with it. Um, and I and I prepped them. I said, look, we're, we're about, we just spent 10 minutes on, on being all clean. And now we're going to do a drill that's going to, you're, you're going to play with this. So um, this is this is a educational paradigm. You know, you learn a concept and you play uh, you learn a concept, you discuss. Uh, you learn a concept, you write. You creatively write about something yeah. and question things. So yeah, 
there is a direct overlap between what how I teach school and how I teach karate. Yeah, and I think you used the word play a few moments ago, which I think is a really important point because what you're not the way the way you structure things is very similar to the way which my, my club works now, which is why I think when we get together, our heads are in the same place. Is that yeah, we're not saying do your solo work and now full contact sparring. There's a gradual shift into that kind of training over time. So it still becomes unscripted and there's resistance. But if it's similar to what I do, for my beginners, it's a small amount of resistance. It gets messy, but no one's saying it has to be from, you know, zero to 100%. It's a gradual shift through the... And I'm going to argue that you can keep that low level of resistance all throughout your life. Like I'm 51 years old now. I can't bang like I used to. And uh, it's really tough because I, I trained in an MMA gym and, um, you know, uh, they, they, they don't care how old I am and they just go hard. Like I, I, I spar against guys that are 16 uh, year old champions um, all the way up to like uh, guys that are 20s and, and in, in the 30s. And like I'm, I've got like 20, 30 years on these guys and uh, it's crazy. But for to, to get, to get, you can get a lot out of uh, out of your martial art, even if you just throw in, say, 20-30%, because you're thinking, you're thinking, you're stopping things from going clean, and you're continuously developing. So my argument is, uh, you don't need to, to go full out, full out boogie. I mean, you gotta listen to your body. If you can't handle it, then don't. Um, you can, and that's the beauty of our art, because we can, we can go gentle, but but gain so much out of it. Um, and the whole point is, like you said, we need to play. Um, students need to play. Um, that's why we have kindergarten and primary uh, uh, school. Yeah, like, like Bruce Lee would always say, you know, you need to honestly express yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he, like, he would always say that, right? Like uh, whether that was unique to him or he got that from somewhere else, or whatever, it, it just resonates uh, with me. We need to be us, right? So we are, as human beings, like, you know, if you if you trap us into, it force us to to learn specific biomechanical things, uh, aka, okay, we gotta do the kata, we gotta do it this way, and it, the masters did it this way, so we gotta do it this way. I mean, this this goes against the human nature. Like as as humans, like we need to be free. Uh, we we need to be be free and guided as well, right? So we gotta have that balance. So play is is a very important part, and but the timing of the play, play has to begin. From day one, so yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's yeah, and even sparring, sparring like there's different levels and different kinds of sparring. I think students should be exposed to sparring very early uh, and not wait yeah. for another topic. But no, no, um, and, and not to um, quote Bruce Lee, but he mentioned something which I find we should just just touch upon is the is the difference between having no technique and having no technique. So. You're you're not saying that you should be open and express yourself and do things your own way without having any foundation. You're saying there's only so many ways of throwing a punch properly and you've got to use one of those ways. You're not saying you can punch however you like. And I think sometimes when we talk about breaking free from the tradition or way of doing things or, you know, doing things in a a different way, we still need it to be a proper way, a correct way. It just doesn't have to be the way it's always been done. No, so I was just thinking as you're talking, Play to me is has to be is going to look differently when it's inserted. So to me, play is a diagnostic tool. At the beginning of, of a curriculum, when students come into me fresh, I get them to play, 
and I get them to but play with, with a focus. So I'll say, all right, look, uh, uh, some of you guys don't know anything about martial arts, but I, I, I want you to, I'll, I'll put on some pads. Uh, I'll get them to put on some pads, and I said, look, I just want you to, I want one side just to touch, touch somebody's shoulder, and I want the other side to just kind of avoid them from touching. That's mm -hmm. it. And you can do anything you want. Uh, except, you know, you can't, I, I give some safety rules, you know, you can't hit the head, you can't, yeah. you can't go hard and this and that. The game is just touch the shoulder and you have to move out of the way and use your hands to, hands and your legs to, to, to prevent them from doing it. So it's very messy in the beginning, but that diagnostic teaches me a lot, mm -hmm. right? About, about what they need and, and, and how they think and how they move. Then of course you put in the concepts now. And you start teaching them, you know, verbatim. You model what you uh, have in, in, for your style. And, and then uh, you do some drilling. And then you get them to play a game. Right? And you revisit that same exercise. And you'll see uh, the progression. Yeah. Right? You're, you're using... So for, for me, play is a diagnostic tool. Uh, a necessary diagnostic tool. Yeah. yeah it, it provides you information to, to work with going forward. That, yeah. That's what you're saying. It's not something yeah. you let... You don't just and let the student... And you need some feedback and... and Debriefing. So yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to John Titch and John does that really, really well with his guys. I, I trained with him uh, when I was there at the UK for that one week. I, I got a real chance to immerse myself with what he was doing and it was really cool. So he, he does pretty much uh, you know, more or less what I said. He'll, he'll, he'll have a lot of play-based type of things and then there's a debrief at the end, right? Um, and the students get to figure out, you know, what worked, what didn't work, and what to do next time, right? Yeah, and I think I think that's missing. I think I think a lot of martial art places I've been is you you get a drill, you do the drill, and then you move on to the next drill. And I think the the instructors don't don't always look at what's happened in that drill and use yeah. that to move forward. But talk, yeah, and just moving moving forward, you did a video on um um I think you called it cutting karate fat, and yes. I think you've mentioned before, you know, you had about eighteen kata in your Sharinru. Um, system. Yes, sir. My, my, my Shotokan background, I think there's 26 kata in Shotokan. And the way our syllabus was laid out for our first dan, we had to do 20 of these kata. Now, at the time, I remember thinking, oh, this, you know, this is such a great thing. You've got to do 20 kata. You've you got to learn all these things. I know so much. This is so cool. But then through the years, I mean, right now, I'll tell you now, my black belts, they don't do 20. They do, um, they do seven. Yeah. I, and, and I find if you really study the kata in depth, you find out one, there's lots of similarities between the kata, and two, there's enough in a couple of kata for the last year, a lot of years. And in the Shotokan style, and, and I think the Wadu and maybe the Shitoru styles, I think there's been a lot of standardization of moves, movements. So you'll, you'll see, like, I, I know when I look at the Shotokan system, and I'll see like a middle block performed, and then I'll look at other styles, the way they do the same kata, they might have an open hand or, or the hand might come out a different way. And other styles aren't as standardized. I, I'm just wondering what your take on that is and, and what you really mean by, you know, taking the fat out of karate. Oh, I, 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 I would love to answer that question because that defines the whole, that defines me in a nutshell and it defines everything I do um, and, and, and the growth and, and it's just... It just never ends. So, in a nutshell, you know, let me ask you this question. So, we'll start off asking this question. Do you do you remember everything you've learned in university? Oh, <laughs> definitely not. No. No, right? I mean, and that's just that's just because of sheer volume, right? Yes. Sheer volume of information. And then and then you know I'm gonna go on to, to say you know 
a lot of the things that we've learned in university, high school and say elementary school, um, do we use every single thing that we've learned, right? Uh, but to me, the answer is no. Um, and, and, you know, if we go back to the university thing, um, what if you learned in, from university? Well, in university, I've really learned how to study. Yes, that's, yes sure. that's, that's what I've learned. I've learned how to manage my stress levels, mm-hmm. how to be efficient in, in my learning, how to streamline the volumes of, of, of readings and, 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 and lectures and streamline them in, in, in efficient ways to, to study. And, and to me, those are life skills. So it's the, it's the learning methodology that's important, right? And to, to me, so, so cutting the fat in karate, what that means for me is how can I effectively streamline the volumes and volumes of personalizations that these masters have given? And to me, when I use the word personalizations, I'm, to me, all of those katas, all of the kihon wazas and all the differences that you see across all the styles, to me, are all personalizations of these of these men that that developed them. Um, but then, when you look at the volumes and seas and oceans of, of of this curriculum across all the books and resources that we have now, I when I look at it now, knowing what I know, I see duplicates everywhere. So I yes. see all these redundancies, these overlaps of blocks that are maybe done punches that are done chambered high or low or stances that are that are angled off a little differently. But when you look at the common denominator among all of these things, it, it's it's all these ideas that are done for self-defense, right? And they're all they're all they're all doing the, the same things, right? So by cutting the fat in karate, I I look the, the one the, the first step that I do is I look at all the biomechanical similarities, right? So all the sta- all the all for example, let's look at, uh, at stances. So all the stances that that are that are there, you know, like front stance, back stance, cat stance, and all these things. There's all these variations of stances, but really, when you look at the stances, I look at it from a weight bearing point of view, right? Mm, yes, yeah, so, same here, very similar. So, yeah. So I try to find ways of categorizing and streamlining uh, the stances. Say, so I would look at stances that put uh, put weight at the back. Yes. And I'll try to understand why are they doing that. So, so based on all these weight-bearing stances on the back leg, I would maybe pick one or two stances, and then from there, you can come up with your own variations based on the need, like you know, based on pressure that's coming coming about. Um, if you take a look at, say, uh, how can I say, blocking uh, ukiwazas, mm-hmm. um, they all have pretty much, in my opinion, one thing in common. They're receiving the the, the 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 how can I say I need to describe it instead of showing it because we're not uh, <laughs> on video. Um, they're, they're crossing hands somehow. They're checking and they're 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 clearly receiving or redirecting something, right? So when you focus on you're looking at the plane of motion of, yeah. of these moves and the way the hands the you know, the hand which usually chambers and the hand which which moves forward. There's very similar um, motion planes for all these moves. I'm looking for patterns, basically. Mm. I'm looking for patterns of plane movement, weight distribution, direction. Um, and when you when you look at commonalities, it's like finding a common denominator in a number, right? When you look for common commonalities among all of these, mm. you, you like maybe 20, 30 things get shrunk into like maybe four yeah. or three. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all examples of the, of the same idea or concept. 
And as, yeah. as soon as you, you can teach one is your base concept, and then you, you can, you know, you, you can explain a few of the other ones, which are commonly seen in karate. But then, yeah. you, but then that also, I think, opens up your students to be like, okay, the way I've been taught to move my way forward, say in a forward stance. Um, here's some other stances, like so Zenkutsudachi, which is your forward stance in, in the style I'm from. And then you've also got, so I'm thinking of um, halfway through some of the um, Pinan or Hian catches, you've got like the feet crossed together as they move forward. Again, that's just another way of bringing your, your, you know, your weight forward. So that, that's two options there. And then when you give that to your students to play with, they can start to come up with their own ways of moving their weight forward. And as long as right. it works and it's efficient, you know, that's their personalization of a front stance. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it, it's really funny because uh, this is a really passionate topic of mine, this whole stance thing. I'm actually planning, uh, I've taken some notes and uh, I'm formulating a, a video. I'm going to be doing a video on, on stances. Um, and... Uh, it's funny because uh, I've been reading, re- revisiting uh, Nagamini's book uh, quite profusely lately. And uh, he's, he says that one of the most important stances for karate is the cat stance. And the, 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 the cat stance is naturally used when under pressure. And it, he, he says uh, the cat stance is used in, in a self-defense situation. It's used in a kill or be killed situation. Um, and he was saying how it's used to put yourself in a high state of mobility. Right? And, um, but... He doesn't really say how. When I when I see these things, this is where I get gaps in, 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 my, in my learning, and so then I seek out other arts, uh, combat arts, for example, like boxing and you know kickboxing, Muay Thai, Sabat, all these things. And believe it or not, they do cat stances all the time. When they're under pressure, it's not about cat stance. It's not. It, it's 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 about weight bearing. Like they'll shift their weight to, to the back leg. Yeah, it's it's not about performing a set pose. It's about moving your weight. To your back leg, right. yeah. And, and then when you take a look at, if you were to snapshot what they're actually doing, they're doing verbatim a cat stance. Mm. Their back leg is bent. All, all the force is absorbed in the back leg, and, and their, all, their 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 front hip and their lead leg is is exposed to blade off to to shear off any force coming in. And then and then you can be very mobile. So um, top high level athletes use use cat stance in a combative situation. So I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. Nagamini, back in the day when he wrote this, he even mentioned, uh, he wrote this book uh, in uh, early 1900s, and he even said, he says, if you look at kendo, boxing, and aikido, he mentioned those those uh, arts, kendo, boxing, and aikido, he says, if you look at those arts, uh, they use cat stance, um, and they, they do it out of necessity, right? Um, so to, to, to me, I mean, that that's like, poof, that's... Wow. <laughs> okay. Um. And just to follow up on that, we'll, we'll this is our last topic. Um. Because you mentioned cross training at the start to this podcast. You you just mentioned it again. You go out and you seek other arts. And you you mentioned about how you've essentially changed the training methodology which you started with in karate and what you have now. So the methodology has changed. And you also you know you you're taking the fat out of karate and you're bringing in things from other arts. There's going to be some people out there who are saying you're essentially diluting karate and you're not doing karate anymore. So I'm just wondering how you, I mean, I do something very similar. I have, you know, my base and then I go out and I, I've cross-trained in, in, in other arts, JKD, um, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, and it all helps to influence what, what I have at the moment. And there's bits which are directly stolen from other arts which work it well in my karate. But I'm just wondering for you, um, for the ones who say, you know, you've diluted karate and you've changed it and it's not what it's, you know, it's not what karate is. How, how do you respond to that? Oh, very simply. See, 
What people really need to understand is the is 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 the roots. All these masters they cross train, all of them, and I never knew that. See, when I was training in karate, I would always think these guys karate is Japanese. It's a certain. It, it's a brand. It's this is the way it's gotta be. You gotta wear a gi. You gotta have snappy techniques, and you gotta you gotta do set forms, and it's gotta look like this, right? But really, this was this was just me learning this at the beginning. But when I actually go back, there are a ton of evidence, like a ton, a gazillion amount of evidence that all of these guys, like just to drop some names, Nagamini, Itoso, Matubo, um, all these dudes, they cross trained. They cross-trained like mad. Hmm. Um, and had multiple teachers, for sure. I mean, yeah, multiple teachers, man. They, they, they would always be testing their stuff out. Hmm. Now, from I, I, I know more, uh, I'm a little bit more familiar with the Chinese lineage because my teacher uh, was a Chinese man and he uh, he put a lot of praying mantis type of uh, uh, flavor into our into our shrine roof. So that kind of got me studying Chinese arts too. But what I'm trying to say is these sifus, these Chinese sifus in China and all this kind of stuff, cross training was 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 a was a staple, and and it was because of insecurity. They cross trained because they weren't sure if their stuff worked, so they kept going and they wanted to make make sure that their stuff worked, and they wanted to test themselves and test their art, and they also wanted to have bragging rights too. All of these guys, like there's a famous story about a Hungar guy uh, hooking up with a Wing Chun guy, and there were. Uh, Wing Chun wars among different schools and clans and different mantis teachers battling it out and this is history man people have been cross-training since the beginning of time so what I'm doing is really nothing special I, I, and to be honest man I have a hard time seeing that what I practice is karate since I was 10 years old till about 24 I trained in one karate school after this time I discovered so many other arts and combat sports <clears throat> for example my short stint with Shaolin Kung Fu uh, cleaned up my katas. Um, I currently train heavily in boxing, which has tightened up my karate striking, taught me angles, and <clears throat> most importantly, it has given me fluidity <clears throat> in all my dachiwazas, or stances from karate. Uh, I also train heavily in savat and krav maga, which has taught me about um, mental toughness. I'm constantly learning from others, um, and learning up the essence of what uh, they do for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, tactically, uh, develop, uh, to develop a better counter game. If you just strike without grappling, you're in trouble, and vice versa. Uh, socially, uh, cross-training with others helps you build bridges and avoid training in isolation. And uh, uh, thirdly, you know, appreciation. Uh, cross-training helps you appreciate you know, the similarities in your own art and embrace the differences and nuances in others. I have personally rejected the term jack of all trades and master of none um, as it has a negative connotation to it. I mean, this term suggests you are not disciplined and just dabble in other things without sticking anything through. Rather, I like to use the term jack of all trades and master of self. And I got this term from Sifu and good friend uh, Mark Medeiros from JKD Combative Sciences. This to me means, you know, you, you study up the essence of the other arts and insert into your own syllabus accordingly. You know, the, the older masters, the older karate masters did this. And in fact, from what I understand, other traditional masters dabbled and, and not only dabbled, but cross-trained with other people too. Well, now in our internet age, we can do this plus a whole lot more. So in conclusion, 
I have a hard time saying what I do is karate because the cross training with other people in order to develop, you know, tactically sound practices, socially, you know, build bridges and develop appreciation for what you do and what others do. To me, this is key. And karate is just a baseline. Uh, it's a, it's a reference point to what I'm doing, but what's most important is the process of learning from others and cross-training from others. So I know it's a messy answer, but welcome to the world of learning. <laughs> it's just like school. You don't just learn one thing. You learn a whole bunch of other things. And, and at the end of the day, you say you're a student, right? So that's what I am. I'm a student. Okay, Chris, before we wrap up then, um, if you just want to let our audience know um, if they want to check out that new stance video, which is going to come out shortly, if they want to check out um, things you've, you've already done and posted, and where do they find you? Karate Unity uh, on Facebook, uh, Karate, Unity, Karate Unity on Instagram, and Karate Unity on YouTube. So Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Karate Unity Facebook, I, I put up all my updates as to upcoming uh, things that I'm doing. So yeah, you can, you can follow me there. Um, and uh, I look forward to collaborating with you more too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Chris. If you like this podcast, please share with your martial art friends in person and on social media. All your support helps the podcast grow and our message to reach further than I could do on my own. In the next podcast, I will be discussing the law in England and Wales in relation to offensive weapons. See you then. Thank you.